Hola, hola. You are listening to Se Ves Escucha, Seen and Heard, a language justice podcast for people who like crossover episodes. Uh, this is our first bonus episode. It's a crossover episode with the Compas at Estoy Aquí podcast. I sat down with Catherine Castro to have a very sweet and emotional conversation around language justice. Um, so I want to say thank you to KC and to KB for inviting us um, to be on their podcast. And that's it. Están en las manos de Estoy Aquí podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Bienvenidos a Estoy Aquí. We are hosts, Catherine Borgen and Catherine Castro. Quereras de Cultura and Justicia, bringing you your dose of spice. Hey, KB, ¿qué onda? Girl, where do I start? It's been, <laughs> it's been quite some time since we recorded. Lots of changes in the works. Yes, as y'all might have noticed, we've moved from bi-weekly episode releases to monthly releases. Yes, we've been working really hard on our careers and personal lives, and things have just been taking off for the best. Needless to say, we've been completely swamped and just starting to readjust to new realities. Yeah, on a personal level, I've personally been exploring my spirituality and my connection with the universe really taking a step back to be aware of my frequencies and the ones around me and in the process I got a new job at a really cool new brewery out here in Asheville yes yeah so ya tu sabes busy 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 bitch you are always always busy <laughs> like you're like harder to get a hold of than a presidente ya tu sabes girl you already know <laughs> But I'm honestly so proud of you and how far you've come over the last few months, B. And just the fact that you're exploring all these different sides of yourself. Like, it's been really inspiring for me. It's like they say, less bitchin' and more witchin'. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> on my end, I've just been uncovering my own bullshit, you know, and learning and growing from that. Really working harder to be a better lover to my life partner and just prioritizing my relationship a bit more. I think we can delve into these kinds of things in another episode, pero ya tú sabes, it's just constant growth. Yes. This project is something we both truly, truly care about and don't want to half-ass our episodes, which is why we... We're scaling it back to just doing one episode a month, opposed to the bi-weekly episodes, so we can keep one foot in our lives and just make sure that we there's balance. Bueno, um, we're recording this on Father's Day 2019. Actually, we're not, but <laughs> we, plan, we plan on recording this on Father's Day 2019. Um, so it's the day after Father's Day. Regardless, um... I'd like to take a moment and say happy Father's Day to all the papa, uh, the papas out there. And shout out to my papi for being number one and always just putting himself behind my sister and I. We are number one and he's always stri like strived to like make sure that we have everything that we need. So gracias papi, te aprecio. Happy Father's Day to all the papis out there. 
Feliz Día de los Padres a todos los papas guapos. <laughs> Ay, los feos también, bro. <laughs> so, Casey, what are we learning about today? Okay, so recently I've been doing a lot of reflecting, um, not just on my spirituality, but recently one of the things that's been weighing heavy on me is language and what it has meant to me and how we use it to connect to ourselves and others. I also thought about different kinds of language we use to communicate, like, for instance, verbal, body language, semantic, energetic, so on. And all of that led me down a rabbit hole, and I thought about the power that language holds. Eventually, fast forward, I landed on language justice. And I'd remember my friend here in Asheville, Ada, who I actually sat down with for this episode, and all the work that she and others have done in the community to advocate for language justice, specifically for the Latinx community. So what exactly is language justice? Well, from what I've gathered, language justice is a form of social justice. Essentially, it just comes down to power. So power in what way? Uh, okay, so for instance, um, interpretation often isn't offered in clinics or courthouses or schools even and you have kids interpreting for their parents right uh which i personally have done for my family since i was a child and i still do it today and nowadays there are organizations uh like center for participatory change uh, also called cpc here in Asheville, uh trying to make language and understanding readily accessible to non-english speaking folks however Imagine walking into a courtroom with zero knowledge of the spoken language, which is primarily English, we're in the United States, and being completely lost, feeling a sense of powerlessness, essentially. And language justice is about reclaiming that power to communicate and reclaiming your language. So you create these spaces where people are invited to bring their whole selves into a room where no no language is dominant and every language in the room holds equal footing. That's interesting. I feel like nowadays there's just so many movements that embody that sentiment, like ungendering and queering language, for instance. Mm-hmm. So in short, it kind of sounds like language justice is just this idea that we can live in a world with room for multiple language multiple languages to operate at all levels of society whether it's at the coffee shop whether it's at a restaurant whether it's in the local council the local government in a place where they could just coexist and a world where social structures would not be based on the dominance of one language over all others exactly so ada who you'll hear from next tweeted it best quote Language justice goes beyond interpretation and translation. It honors all languages, recognizes language loss, and believes in language reclamation. End quote. Listo. So my name is Ada Volkmer. I am a Mexicana viviendo en el sur de los Estados Unidos. I am a 41 years old. I've lived in Asheville for 20 of those. Um, Yeah, I'm a white Mexican. Uh, I'm an interpreter. I'm a social justice interpreter. I work for the Center for Participatory Change. CPC? CPC. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Cool. So what does CPC do? 
Giuseppe said Center for Participatory Change trains different people. Mm-hmm. And so we have three programs. One of the programs is the Language Justice Circle, where we train interpreters. Uh, we have the Popular Education Circle, where we train popular educators to work with kids. Uh, so that when people, when adults are having their like meetings, um, the popular educators are spending time with the kids and like teaching the kids about the same social justice issues that the adults are learning about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have the racial equity circle um, that hosts Black Love, which is like a gathering of um, people of African descent here in Asheville. And it also has um, a training program called the Racial Equity. Learning exchange. The racial equity learning exchange. So training people of color to be consultants to do that like facilitation work around racial equity. Oh, cool. Okay. Entonces, what I really wanted to hone in on was language justice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the first time I ever heard about it was through your podcast, Seves Escucha. Um, and it kind of just blew my mind because it's not something that I particularly thought about but when you guys kept talking about it I was Mm -hmm. like holy crap this is my whole life Mm -hmm. so do you care to kind of explain what language justice is yeah Um, for me I think of language justice as being the way that we use language or talk about language in our fight for social justice. Okay. And so how are we using language in the fight for gender justice or LGBTQ justice or immigrant rights or climate justice? Some people talk about language justice as kind of being able to speak in the ways that we want um, and being heard and being understood. Um, some people talk about creating spaces where there's no dominant language. Um, some people talk about like it's a way to bring down uh, barriers so that people can speak to each other across language. Mm-hmm. But oh, concretely, that can look like translators, that can look like interpreters, that can look like having interpretation equipment, that can look like... Um, you know, if you're having an um, organizing meeting that all of the materials are in all of the languages that are spoken, that the facilitation is in all the languages that are spoken, that there are interpreters that are interpreting both ways, that the written materials are in uh, all the languages. So that's mm-hmm. kind of like the concrete. E, um, for me, that's kind of like the mechanics of language justice. Mm-hmm. But for me, and especially over these last couple of years, I'm trying to think about like how is it bigger than this? Mm-hmm. How it, does it include like non-gendered, non-sexist language? How does it include those of us who grew up like speaking Spanglish and like feeling comfortable mm. in this like Spanglish space? How does it include Black English or African American vernacular English? What about folks that don't have access to their ancestral languages because of colonialism, because of slavery, because of assimilation, because of immigration? So my thing really over the last couple of years, it's like, see, it's interpreters, it's translators, but it's it's so much more. It's so much more because I want more people to identify with the language justice movement, mm-hmm. not just like, oh, like a couple of like... Latinx folks that interpret, you know, like se me hace muy pequeño. For me, I think like we all have experience with language, mm-hmm. 
And I think like if we can broaden the the scope of, of what language justice means, that then means more people will identify with the movement. Totally. I agree. And even that even so, like lately I've been thinking about language and how important it is and like how it affects every single person. So I can see why you want to kind of broaden your mm-hmm. scope. Mm-hmm. Because um at first, again, going back to your podcast, I thought it was just for interpreters. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I started listening to it and mm-hmm. I heard some more episodes and I was like, no, I totally can relate to all of this. And one of them was queering uh, language. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how do you feel? Like that episode talks about how it's kind of like a new movement. And how do you feel that's kind of flowing within like the differences between the United States and uh, queering language in like Latin America? Right. Um, so this is a topic that is close to my heart like you're so straighty uh-huh. um, <laughs> that has a lot of like queer community uh-huh. um so for me that you then what like for me i'm all about like opening what this language justice thing can be so i think that as language started to change um as folks were using latinx latin a latin arroba um, as there were these more terms that people were using to identify themselves, mm-hmm. and those terms didn't have necessarily an equivalent. Like, we're, we're developing language all the time, and I feel like the mm-hmm. queer language is like the LGBT language, like, está creciendo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's so interesting, and I try to... those cosas, como... I try to use examples from Latin America because there's kind of this pushback, like that's colonialism, like esos son cosas de gringos, <laughs> así no habla la gente allá, sí. um, por siempre ustedes exportando cosas, sí. you know? And then I'm fucking like Googling like queer C-U-I-R, like in the Dominican Republic, like non-sexist language in Argentina, like todos estos ejemplos in Mexico about how to use non-sexist and LGBTQ vocab. Like, mm-hmm. so I think that if you put research and time into it, like you'll see that it's like a Latin American movement as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if it wasn't a Latin American movement, even if it was just in the States, like tenemos derecho de crear un idioma. Yeah. Right? Like, ¿cuántos millones de nosotros no estamos aquí? Like, we have a right to to make a new language. Of course. And have a, create a space where mm-hmm. people are comfortable mm-hmm. and can feel like themselves. Yeah. So before we go any further, I wanted to touch base on the queering language movement that Ada talks about going on in Argentina as well as in Mexico. Do you know what's going on in Latin America and the Caribbean lately, B? So yeah, one of the articles I read about was uh, specifically about this group of women from Argentina, seven to be exact. They started this collective or they they come together to bring their forces to create this platform. And essentially they're translators and interpreters who were tired who were tired of hearing gendered language as well as not feeling represented in their line of work. So they formed the collective that I was talking about, which is called Traductoras e Interpretres Feministas de Argentina. So through their work, they've managed to create a space for now 700, 750 women, okay, of inclusivity. Yeah, they started as seven. Wow. (laughs) They believe that language is revolutionary and that it's fundamental to one's identity to feel included. 
You know, it's really impressive and inspiring to see countries and countries in Latin America becoming change makers in this area. Yeah, and my absolute favorite line from this article that I read is la RAE, which is um, Real Academia Española, no es la dueña de la lengua. Los dueños de la lengua son los usuarios. La lengua está viva. Se muere sola. Avanza y hay cambios. Si hay nuevas tecnologías, tiene que haber nuevas palabras que la nombren. Y si hay nuevas visiones del mundo, como la visión feminista, obviamente que va, que va a haber nuevas palabras que describen esta visión. So essentially it's just saying that language evolves. Like the real Academia Española, which is basically the, the law, quote, lawmakers of language, of Spanish language, don't dictate it. Like, we are are in charge of our own language. We have the right to take charge of it. And as we evolve, and as technology evolves, so does language. So going back to just language justice as a whole... Um, why do you feel this is important and why do you feel like other people should probably like open their minds or maybe like look into what language justice is? First of all, I think it's important because I think about like my own experience and I think about my own experience, um, growing up on the border, living in Mexico, going to school in the United States, switching back and forth between languages, between cultures, and then really identifying with you know so many of us who have like that that same experience in la casa se un idioma and like out in the world like you speak another one mm-hmm. so i think it's important to bring those experiences to like fight for justice um and again like concretely i think about all of us as like bilingual multilingual people in the United States who can use this skill as a career, but not just as a career, like as a way to bring language justice to these different movements. And so it's not just like an English movement that's like fighting for justice in este país. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's a way for people to be able to express themselves. I think it's a way for people to like directly affected people to be heard um i think it's a a way to shift power dynamics Mm, i read about that today so i think it can be i think it and i and and then i think it's like so personal um and i like that part of it Mm -hmm. like i like the part of it where like we get to bring ourselves to things and i think that we talk about so much about like all our different identities but sometimes like the way we speak it's important to us, but we don't, like, name it as much. Mm-hmm. See? Does that make sense? Yeah, I understand. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. And I know we've talked about this before. I think mm-hmm. the first time we met. Uh-huh. Um, but how did you get into this? Like, how did you get to interpreting and, like, why? And I know that you're you're passionate about uh-huh. it, but um, how did this become uh, come about? The truth is, like I, like I said, I grew up on the border. I grew up... I don't remember not speaking both languages. Um, I know what my parents say. I know my parents say that I would like walk around the house and be like, ru, 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 ru. y me decían, ¿qué es eso? Y decía, eso es inglés. Para mí inglés es So I grew up in this, you know, you know, I, I grew up in this kind of unique place, but now with a not a very unique experience. I think like many of us have this 
total, I moved to North Carolina. I started doing immigrant rights organizing. Um, there is a meeting at the Catholic Church where an attorney from the ACLU is going to come and talk about Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. The interpreter that we had hired didn't show up. And my very good friend and mentor like came with the microphone and said, like, no llegó la intérprete, te toca. And I was like, I can't, I can't. And she was like, you're from the border. It is a frontera. You can do this. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. And she gave me the microphone. I was like, I can't, I can't. And then the meeting started. And I was like, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. Um, and then from there, I've been, I've been interpreting. So it's like 14 years ago. Wow. And um, how has this evolved your life? One, it's like connected me to the language and to the culture. Like, vivimos en el oeste de Carolina del Norte. Like, vivimos en los Estados Unidos. Like, easily, you know, like, it could be, like, that's far away. Mm-hmm. And so, in, in a way, it has kept me, like, tengo que hablar en español. Mm-hmm. It's changed my life because I get to be in these spaces and I get to, like, bring this gift to these spaces so that people are able to talk to each other and I get to witness a lot of awesome conversations. And it has helped me just kind of, like, be enough because of course like my family in Mexico is like como like tu interprete like <laughs> tu español es malísimo like hablas como pocha you know like I get all of that pushback from my family in Mexico really yeah and for me it's been very healing to be like no like like my Spanish is good enough like yeah. my English is good enough like I can do this I can fucking do this and yeah Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Pero, ¿qué es pocha? Porque yo no ah, sé. Pocha, ¿cómo dirían ustedes? Like, when you have, like, broken, oh, broken Spanish. They call me gringa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactamente. Uh-huh. Uh, exactamente. Yeah. Yeah, I get that a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, it's kind of, like, an empowering, like, empowering for you. Yeah. Knowing that you can, like, it, it, regardless, like, this is enough. Yes. Cool. Yes. And since part of my work is training interpreters... Um, and part of my work is like mentoring new interpreters and specifically like first generation folks, second generation folks, folks with DACA, folks without papers. You know, I feel like to, to be able to then like train other folks to do this and to train other folks to be like, we are enough. Mm-hmm. Like you're Spanish. No, I'm Espanol. No, I just have house Spanish. Oh, I didn't get, I didn't study. I don't know where the accent marks go. Like mm-hmm. you don't need accent marks for interpretation. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Gracias a Dios. And oh my your God. vocabulary like grows. Like your vocabulary grows. Um, we did a class back in the fall for like Spanish for native Spanish speakers called Serpent's Tongue. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, and the professor that helped us during that class was a professor at the University of North Carolina at Asheville said, um, a lo mejor ustedes no recuerdan el idioma, pero el idioma lo recuerda a ustedes. Oh. And like all of us were like crying, crying, crying. Yeah. And it's like, it's like looking at the sky at night and you just see a bunch of stars. And if you don't know, you just see a bunch of stars. But when you start to study and learn, you start to see like this constellation and this other constellation. Mm-hmm. So I think that's been really okay. healing. Okay. So that's what I love about the work too. Oh. <laughs> Let the record show our eyes are watery. Watery. We have both have watery eyes. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, because it's so special and it's so close to mm-hmm. like my heart, and I mm-hmm. never thought that it was like anything that like 
I could relate to, but it's so relatable. Like, language justice. Mm-hmm. No sabía. Mm-hmm. Nunca. And, like, one of the articles I was reading today was talking about how language justice essentially is, like, taking the power back. Because you will sit in a room, let's say, for instance, in a courtroom. Mm-hmm. Um, there mm-hmm. are interpreters, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, let's say, my mom, who doesn't speak any English, goes to court, has no idea what's going on. She has no power. But if you have someone there who can interpret for you, right. you have some sense of power back, right. which is beautiful, and I love that. And I never really thought about it that way. So just listening to you guys talk about um, just uh, language justice mm-hmm. kind of gave me a completely different paradigm shift, which is kind of why like this was important for me to mm-hmm. do because mm-hmm. I don't. I also think that a lot of other people don't think about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and once they hear it it's gonna be like wow that clicks that makes so much sense right like what can i do now to make it like or i grew Uh up like in this space and i never knew what name to put to it Mm -hmm. um and even now like there's language justice in every facet of my life personally and i'm sure other people feel the same way so yeah, this, what you're talking about is beautiful because mm. it just, it touches home. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. A lo mejor ustedes no recuerda el idioma, pero el idioma lo recuerda a ustedes. Dude, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that hits home. But just like listening to Ada speak about the different ways language justice takes shape resonates with me on so many different levels. Girl, preach. It's just so empowering knowing that us as first-gen Latinx aren't alone with the sentiment Ada is sharing. Sometimes we get judged by family members or even society at large for not having mastered Spanish. It's really nice to feel that we can still use our language for power and that this is more than enough. Yep. You know, I never honestly thought about myself as a language justice warrior, but there's so many instances in which I feel like i have been throughout my life yeah like something is very basic you know for example at my previous job there was some someone a woman that worked in custodial services and we got really close we talked about like everyday life and she was setting up for her immigration papers and she asked me to help her she asked me to help her study for the test to ask her fill out the forms um she asked me to help her do um mock interviews and I did that with her and I was so happy and I just felt like I was using the privilege of my knowing two languages to really better and change someone's life, you know. And she even um, got to a point where she would come to me for several different things, like even buying some something as simple as like a plane ticket. And I just kind of helped her, you know, learn how to use the Internet and things like that slowly but surely. And you know, even at your local pharmacy, like I remember once there was a woman who couldn't communicate with the pharmacist about the prescriptions she was taking. And, you know, I kind of waited it out. I was like, let me see if they could eventually find some common ground, but it just wasn't happening. So I had to intervene. The pharmacist asked me like, hey, are you looking for a job? Because we need a bilingual person to work for us part time on the weekends. And I was just like, I'm good. But it just in so many ways. <laughs> and even, you know, most importantly, like my parents, um, Growing up, just translating things, explaining things to them, explaining to them, even, you know, my dad knew English, but the nuances in the language, as you said, as it evolves, as it changes, sometimes it's like you need to explain to them what certain things mean in context, explain to them, you know, the letter that they got from the bank, 
and things like that. <laughs> Free translation services. So. <laughs> <laughs> I agree 100%. And I feel like growing up in Miami, we just didn't mm-hmm. think about it as much. It was just second nature. Like, my parents migrated to this country as everybody else's parents did in Miami. And we are just a tool that they use to help get them along. And mostly it was just when it came to like court or the bank or like mortgages and like car loans or whatever it was. Right. Because they walk down the street. They don't need to, to know English. Nobody <laughs> needs to know English in Miami. When I heard Ada speak and the examples that she gave, I felt like it resonated with me so much because again, I know that neither of us thought about this growing up or even now up until I had this conversation with her. And she just put a name to something that I had never, never had a name for or even thought was a thing that existed. It just was. It was part of life, right? And then I moved to North Carolina where, again, I love my friends and my friends are amazing, pero yo soy la única. There's like maybe 20 of us in this whole land of the sea of white people, right? I went for to court not so long ago um, and everyone speaks English. And there was this man that stepped up to to speak to the judge and he had no idea what was happening. No. And because of his confusion, people were laughing at him. And I didn't want to overstep at the moment because we're in the court of law and I don't know what's going to happen to me. I'm still new to the state. Um, but he, he raised his hand and he agreed to something that he might've not known what was. So then after the fact, I went up to him and I asked him, Señor, ¿sabe lo que, lo que le dijeron? And he didn't know, even though his lawyer was in court. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> so I took the time to explain it to him because like, who knows who has taken the time to do that for our parents, to do that for the people that we care about, not knowing the language or not having to know the language? Because again, where we grew up, it's not necessary per se. I never knew that I was a guerrera for language justice, but it just seems like to me that it's in every facet of our life. Yep. And here we are. And here you are. And what an irresponsible lawyer, dude. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> that needs to violate some code of conduct and like prosecutor professionalization standards like come on anyways i know he's getting his but what comes around what goes around comes around and yeah i'm glad that i was there for him that day to kind of just break things down i'm glad to be another question i had for you was how what challenges do you see Mm within this realm of language justice and or for C. I think one of the challenges, what you just said too, around that power, like one of the challenges is also to check ourselves as interpreters and as bilingual people who have the privilege to understand what is being said. And there's a lot of times when you are put in this position. Like, it, it depends on you. To te sube la cabeza, right? And you're like, mm-hmm. it all depends on me. Like, my <laughs> word choice and how I'm going to say this. Um, so I think part of our work, especially because 
we work with interpreters that get to interpret these shitty places, right? We work with interpreters that are at the fucking hospital, at the court, ICE, police, school systems, you know, like organizing spaces. Like we're we're now with like exec- corporate executives and, you know, fucking multimillionaires. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important to check ourselves and let people's voice just be people's voice. Okay. And be really clear like my work here is this bridge for like communication and not to get into like like a tenepoder so yo like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna decide i'm gonna get the best result even if it's the best result for the person right like i'm gonna tweak the message so that this person gets the best result mm-hmm. like that's not your job yeah that's not your job and that this is it can get away from you and i think we need to like work on like checking that mm-hmm. in ourselves being aware mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I think also as like second and third generation folks, I think like vocab, I think like building vocab and keeping vocab and reclaiming vocab, that's something that we are trying to work on. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, there's this whole like tech thing that I'm not really sure of. Like, you know, like una máquina un día is going to like do all this interpreting okay. for us and all this translating for us. Mm-hmm. But yeah, who knows? Okay. Who knows? I think uh, I've like heard podcasts that talk about like there's technology that assists us, um, and there's technology that interpreters use. But the possibility of technology like replacing the interpreter, like probably not. But hmm. so every every once in a while, people are like, "Oh my god!" Like <laughs> <laughs> the robots are gonna take our oh jobs. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> which I can't would be much. terrible. <laughs> um, yeah. Or there's a lot of, like, there's a big push for, like, remote interpreting. Okay. So it's, like, not live. It's, like, the interpreter's sitting in some booth somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that that can be tricky because I think that the the type of interpreting that you get when that happens, like, it's not the same. Like, there's a, como se dice, como que, practicality to it. Like, super, ya está la intérprete. Like, we just call her in. Mm-hmm. But then I think that there's this lack of humanity. Yeah. Like I think there's, there's this definite lack of humanity. No connection mm-hmm. between the person and... Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I can see that. Mm-hmm. So those are challenges within the language justice realm. Mm-hmm. So what do you think might be some challenges to achieving language justice, if that's ever to be true? Yeah, I think that part of it is what you were talking about, that the perception that it's just for interpreters. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a challenge. Um, or the perception that it's just for Spanish speakers, mm-hmm. right? Um, like there's only like those are the only people that need interpretation in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other challenge is that it's costly, and so when you approach a business or an organization or a nonprofit around like, oh, we want to bring language justice to this, or you know, to this organization, it's going to cost X amount per interpreter, and there's two interpreters that need to come, plus we need to rent the equipment. Plus, all the documents need to be translated. That costs X amount per word. And so it could kind of like be like a como sticker shock. Like there mm-hmm. can be like a little bit of shock about the, the money that's required to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is like, no, mejor le preguntamos a like Kat, who's bilingual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I trust me I've done it before <laughs> yeah you know and so then there's like this double burden on on folks that are already like marginalized like now you're also the translator and mm. interpreter and stuff yeah for no extra pay I know I know <laughs> been there 
what are some of the bigger challenges to achieving language justice and what are some solutions? Uh-huh. I think some of the solutions are really, really working with uh, other language combinations. Like the big bulk of folks are English, Spanish. And I think we really need to not just talk about like, oh, we need to have other languages. Like we really need to reach out to... Um, to include other folks who are interpreting in other language combinations. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, the, like, how do we how do we broaden it? How do we talk about language justice in this way that more people identify with it? That's my big one. Those are my big ones. And so um, I think just, again, like, talking about this in a way that, like, every single person sees themselves in it. Mm-hmm. Every single person, even if you're, like, a monolingual person, um, or not even, if you are a monolingual person, that you also identify with this movement and that you're also like fighting for it in whatever space you may be, mm-hmm. right? Because you might be in the schools, you might be in the coffee shop, you might be in this nonprofit, you might be in government, and how can you also fight for language justice even if you're not um, an interpreter or if you speak one language. Yeah, well, I mean, language comes in many forms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just finding yourself in that space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's where it comes in for me personally, like thinking about language and how it affects us. And like, I'm reading this book um, right now called Call Them By Their Real Names. And it's by, uh, I forget her name, but she's a feminist. And it's just, like, essays about, like, the United States right now and, Mm -hmm. like, how language is so important and, like, in the law, for instance. Mm -hmm. And she talks about our president and, like, people in power and how their language is so core and, like, so important Mm -hmm. to all the changes and everything that is put forth to people who are not in that same position of Mm -hmm. power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So that was what kind of started like getting my gears moving in regards to like languages Uh more than just like english spanish Uh but just overall Uh like language comes in so many different forms yeah yeah yeah, yeah. cool um and what kind of projects are you personally or like sepese working on um so we keep uh training interpreters so in August, we will have our two-day language justice interpreter training, August 3 and 4, here in Asheville. Um, and there's more information about that at CPC's website, which is cpcwnc.org. Um, I'm starting to dream and scheme about the second season of Cerveza Escucha, mm-hmm. which is our language justice podcast. Um, we did the first season, we've put out a couple of mini-sodes, and now I'm ready to like start on the second season. Mm-hmm. And I think I want to dedicate the second season to like other folks who are doing language justice That's work. That's awesome, yeah. And, in that, and again, in that like broad way, mm-hmm. so reaching out to folks that wouldn't be like your typical you know, language justice, los mismos de siempre. Mm-hmm. I hope that we do another Serpent's Tongue. I hope that we do another class of... Uh, Spanish class for native Spanish speakers because mm-hmm. um, I feel like that was a super healing experience and it was like everyone um, there like identified as Latinx everyone there had like grown up speaking Spanish and mm-hmm. had not had access to like formal uh, education mm-hmm. in Spanish um, and so I think it was very life changing for many of us to just like free ourselves from this like shame I think that a lot of us had a lot of shame and it just kind of like helped us like fuck it 
Yeah. Aquí estamos y like. Estoy dice, aquí. Yeah, exactamente. Exactamente. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yay, that sounds so exciting. I'm curious a little bit more about Cerveza Escucha. Mm -hmm. So, how did that come about? Um, and, like, who have you reached? Who do you plan on working with? Like, tell me everything. <laughs> So again, again, like for me, it's all about like bringing in more folks. We are a small organization. We work here in Western North Carolina. And so how can we spread this like language, just this gospel to other folks? Mm -hmm. And so we started with these nerdy YouTube videos <laughs> that talk about like interpreting and role in ethic. And what do you do when the person says this? Like, what do you say? So we made these super cute videos that are on YouTube. Mm hmm. Um, and then we made a print curriculum, like chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, like how to train interpreters in a language justice setting. Mm -hmm. So then we had like the video and we had the like print manual. Um, and we were like, well, fuck it. Like, lo que falta es un, un podcast, mm -hmm. right? Because as soon as we had printed the curriculum, we were like, ooh, I would not say that about querying language anymore. Ooh, I would not say that about recovery techniques anymore. But I'm not going to reprint yeah. the curriculum every six months because things are changing. But if we do a podcast, like, that can be the update. That can be the update porque están vivo. And, like, mm -hmm. as things change, like, the podcast can change with it. Um, so my co-host and I, Andrea Golden, um, we put out the podcast last year and we chose Cerez Escucha because I think that language justice, like, yes, you should be able to hear it, but you should also be able to see it in the community. Like, yeah. it's not just about the equipment and the interpreter whispering in your ear. Like, you should be able to see it and feel it out in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and also we wanted to, because we both had experience in uh, organizing spaces, we wanted all we wanted to have like the title be a chant like se escucha estamos en la lucha oh cool and then each of the titles uh, of the episodes have like um, chant titles so mm -hmm. Lex Niñez Unidex Jamás Será Mencidex We're Here We're Queer um, ya no me acuerdo de los so demás so it's like so empowering yeah. yeah 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 like we wanted it to do, like um, connect to that like immigrant rights organizing past that we had mm-hmm Cool. Yeah. Okay. So, what do you feel like will be the first season compared to the second? You say mm -hmm. you want it to be more inclusive. Yeah. Um, I'm still thinking about it. So, if you have ideas, <laughs> other folks have ideas. But I think the first one, we kind of wanted to give the lay of the land and really explain, like, this is... Um, what language justice means to uh, us. Um, this is what language justice means to CPC. Here are the other programs of CPC. So everyone was at, that was on staff at the time or all of the circles that are part of CPC like came to Seves Escucha. So it was very like Asheville. Most of the guests were from Asheville. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was very like, this is our work here at CPC. And so this next one, I'm thinking about hitting the road um, and like taking equipment and just talking to other folks. Cool. Um, so there's, like, somebody who does, like, um, copy editing with a language justice perspective. I'm curious to talk to some of the co-ops and collectives that um, are doing language justice work. That's awesome. Um, there's a person from D.C. who's, like, doing a ton of, like, queer interpreter trainings. Well, um, if you go to D.C., you yeah. get up Kathy. <laughs> Um, and so that, yeah, so I'm just trying to think about like 
the novel. Like that's cool. So just shifting lenses and a little looking bit. at it from a different perspective. Yeah, a little bit. So I just want to circle back to talking about how um, sometimes there's pushback in the Latin Latin American like culture mm-hmm. and like countries uh-huh. from like queering language and all yeah. of this language justice. Yeah. So yeah. what would you say to those people? Um, I would say, one, if you don't want to say Latinx, you don't have to say Latinx. Mm-hmm. But you also don't have to, like, shit on people that do say Latinx. Mm-hmm. Two, language is changing all the goddamn time. Nadie habla como se hablaba hace <laughs> 200 años I or know. even 100 years ago. Vuestra Merced. Like, we don't talk like that anymore. Uh-huh. Um, three... A little bit, because I'm super cheesy Whitney Houston, but like the, the, like the future generations, like if you're not going to pay attention to what the future generations are doing, like you're going to get, you're going to get left behind, you yeah. know? <laughs> super cheesy Whitney Houston. <laughs> um, so I think like if this is the way that people are using to describe themselves, then like we need to change and the language needs to change. Mm-hmm. I personally don't agree that if it's like, oh, it's a group of people, and when you say todos, that includes the the women and the non-binary people too. Really? Mm-hmm. Like, if I said hola todas, and there's one cis man there, like, he's not gonna. How is that uh, reflecting who's in the room? Mm-hmm. And it, as an interpreter, it can be tricky. And as an interpreter, it does take like unprogramming. Yeah. Um, but it's. It's um, it's definitely possible. And now when I go to places and they're like, what are you doing? Are you doing the X? Are you doing the A? And I think about like my queer compas who are like the opposite of queering something is making it fucking strict and, and straight yeah. and boxy, you know? So it's not again like, okay, todos vamos a usar latine y solo se puede usar latine and we're going to shame people that don't use latine. Mm. Like... I think that, you know, that spirit of like, you know, just kind of like being open and being flexible and like playing with shit. So sometimes I'm interpreting, I'm like, todos, todas, todes. Sometimes I'm like, todex. Niños, niñas, niñas. Niñexes. You know, I'm just kind of like play around with it. Mm-hmm. And try not to be so strict either. Cool. Yeah. Because yeah. if not, I know that it turns some people off when mm-hmm. like you're super like, no, it has to be this way. Or instead, maybe, hey, no, like this is why we use the uh-huh. X. This is yeah. why we use the arroba. This yeah. is why we use the A. Uh-huh. So just being inclusive, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I think that's it. Unless you have anything else you would like to share. Uh, no, I guess just the plug to follow the Center for Participatory Change, to follow and subscribe and check out Seves uh, Escucha. Yes, it's such a good podcast. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, that was Ada and Kat in Asheville. And yeah, that's Ciao. It. Ciao. Ciao. Today's Cogotazo goes to all the ignorant people out there that discriminate and harass others for speaking a language outside of English, including Aaron Schlossberg? Schlossberg? Who cares? But yes, him. <laughs> <laughs> the New York attorney who threatened to call ICE on Spanish restaurant employees in Manhattan a little over a year ago, dude. Not just him, but the woman who was caught last October yelling obscenities at a family speaking Spanish at a Virginia restaurant. 
I mean, can you believe that she had the audacity to ask them for their passports? It goes to the. It also goes to the woman working at a California gas station yelling at a customer for speaking Spanish. Like, what the fuck? This just goes on and on and on. Y'all need to relax. Te me calmas o te calmo. Calmate, for sure. You know what really, really gets me, though? There is absolutely nothing in the Constitution or any federal law that supports the notion that people should only be speaking English because this is America. Fun fact, y'all. The United States has no official language. Yes. So why are these come mierdas acting like they have some sort of authority on the matter? Uh, Okay. Okay, I'm going to take a step back. Obviously, it's something that's really dear, near and dear to us because se me sale, siempre mm-hmm. se me sale. Mm-mm-mm. And I have absolutely no shame. It's beautiful. But let's get down to the nitty gritty. According to history, the founding fathers didn't see a need to declare English as the official language since it was already the dominant language of the United States. They also did not want to offend fellow Americans who helped fight for independence mind-blowing i know right so revolutionary (laughs) but not surprisingly the original 13 colonies spoke a ton of languages including dutch french and german and not to mention the many languages spoken by native americans enslaved africans were forbidden from using their native languages and at the same time forbidden from learning how to read and write English because slave owners were afraid that they would start rebellions. Not to mention that Native American children were forced to attend boarding schools where they get punished for speaking their own native languages. And many Japanese schools started by immigrants in Hawaii were forced to shut down during World War II. You know, something that Dr. Wayne Wright, a professor at the Purdue University, said really got to me. In an article about language, he says, and I quote, The sad thing about debates about language is that they're rarely about language itself, but the people who happen to speak those languages, end quote. Yep. It is so clearly evident in the people we see being harassed in the streets, always the index for not learning the language. Quote, right? Not learning the language. What language? I know. There's no official language, bro. Fuck. Calm. People need to calm down, but... You know what's crazy, though? Like, there are actually 32 states that have adopted legislation or some sort of constitutional amendment to make English their official language, including Florida. Ulcera. Que pena, bro. <laughs> que pena. <laughs> so, <laughs> in Miami-Dade County, English was made the official language back in 1980. <laughs> I know, right? Okay. In response... It's in response to all the amazing immigration that Miami had by the Cubans and Central Americans. Represent, baby. Specifically in response to the Maria boat lift that brought about 125,000 Cubans to South Florida. That meant county funds could not be spent translating documents and offering non-emergency services in Spanish or any other languages. It wasn't until 1993 that this was repealed. My sister, my little sister was born in 1993, bro. Come on. Girl, for real. Casey, so now that we've discussed language justice and Ava has dropped so much knowledge around language justice, in what ways do you foresee us being able to start these conversations in our communities and helping to create change? Well, I mean, 
I think the most important thing is to come from a place of understanding and patience, making sure that when we do connect or explain these evolutions of language to our families, friends, and so on, maybe talking about non-gender language evolving in Latin America and how it's not just a, an American thing, so it's just more relatable. Mm-hmm. You know, preach. I think it really just comes down to the individual. If you speak a language other than English... Find ways to get involved in your community and use your power of language to change the lives mm. of others and help bring language justice into the mainstream, kind of like in the same ways that we have. And we really wanted to, uh, to thank Ada for shedding light and putting a name to something that both KB and I, and I'm sure most of you, have to maneuver on a daily basis. So... Thank you for tuning in, y'all. Be sure to check out Cerveza Escucha podcast. And shout out to Center for Participatory Change and Ada Volkmer for sitting down with us and opening up our minds. You can learn more about the Center for Participatory Change and Language Justice at cpcwnc.org. You can also look for opportunities locally. Simple things like volunteering at pro bono clinics, nonprofits, NGOs that work with the POC, Latinx, LGBTQ communities. Well, this wraps up season one. Can you believe it, Kathy? Yes. <laughs> Thank you all so much for joining us on this journey. We hope we made you laugh. We hope we made you cry. We hope we made you question our sanity. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> Stay tuned for season two. It's starting mid-August. And Woo-hoo. remember to follow us on Instagram at Estoya Key Podcast, on Facebook at Estoya Key Podcast, and on Twitter, we're at Estoy Aquí Pod. This season was made possible by all of you. Today's episode was produced by Taylor Dinkovich with music by First World. Be sure to find his music on SoundCloud. Proxima. Besitos. <laughs>